grow your business. From News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange, supporting business for over 200 years. Hello and welcome to the Grow Your Business podcast. I'm Gavin McLaughlin and I'm here to help your business make money. This week we're talking about probably the biggest milestone moment you can have as a company and that is doing an initial public offering or IPO, selling shares to the public at large and listing your shares on a stock market. Joining me in studio is Orla O'Gorman who is Head of Equity Listing for Ireland at Euronext. She's the person you call if you want to do an IPO here and Orla's going to be telling us just how to go about it. Also here is Brian Caulfield, who is a venture partner at Draper Esprit. Draper Esprit, of course, is an investor in early stage companies and it listed on the Irish Exchange in 2016, raising more than 100 million euro in the process. And Brian, why did you do it? Well, I suppose the uh, the thing for us uh, that we really wanted to achieve was access to capital. And for many years, we had run very conventional venture capital funds, which are kind of completely illiquid and extremely hard to raise. Uh, so going to the public market basically opened a whole new set of investors up to us and essentially made it much, much easier to raise the capital that we needed to to invest in the early stage businesses that, uh, that, that we invest in. Yeah, and exciting, I suppose, for, you know, an ordinary retail investor to, to be able to uh, take shares in you guys and then they get a bit of exposure to some of these exciting uh, tech companies uh, that are out there. Obviously, there must have been a debate internally about whether you were going to do it or not. So, I mean, you've given us some of the arguments in favour. What were some of the arguments against doing it? I suppose some of the concerns that people would have had, especially because we're investing in very very early stage companies, was that we might have had to disclose a lot of information about the underlying investee companies and that it might therefore have had an impact on their willingness to accept investment from us because obviously very, very early stage companies aren't terribly keen to have their financials plastered on the front of the newspaper. Um, but we we kind of realised firstly that actually that wasn't going to be necessary, you know, provided we were broadly giving a... a clear and fair picture of the overall value of the investment portfolio, that the markets wouldn't be concerned about the uh, the, the details of a small individual component of the uh, of the portfolio. So, so that actually turned out not to be a, a concern, but was definitely something that that we debated and discussed. The, the other thing that we were concerned about was, if you like, whether the market would understand our product. I yeah. mean, it was, it was an unusual step for a tech venture capital firm to list. There weren't a lot of other companies that we could point to and sort of say, look, those guys are similar yeah, to yeah. us and you can think about them the same way you think about us, you know. Uh, well, I mean, you, you've kind of touched on, I suppose, is is the key thing that that people 
maybe would put them off is kind of the the red tape and the rules, the transparency requirements uh, that there are around it. We'll get on to talk about them in a second. But just going through the IPO process, filling out the forms, investor roadshow, uh, all that kind of thing. How did you find uh, that and how did you handle it in the company? I mean, did you have a separate team who was just focused on this? How did it all work? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't have a separate team. I mean, effectively, there were three senior partners uh, in the firm at the, at the time, uh, myself and my colleagues, uh, Simon Cook and Stuart Chapman and our CFO. And to a great extent, that was the team. I, I think the key thing, though, is that you do need to have high quality professional advisors around you, you know. So yeah, a few people have said that in this series, yeah. Uh, yeah, a good law firm, you know, a, a good firm of accountants who are going to kind of bring you through the process. I mean, to be honest, um, I, I certainly read a lot of legal documents, but there isn't a huge amount of a form filling as such, and that the the kind of professional services team actually take care of a lot of that work, you know. Orla, I'm going to bring you in here just to talk a bit more about the process. Say a company rings you in the morning and says, Orla, we've decided we want to list on Euronext Dublin. What happens next? Yeah, okay. So uh, thanks, Gavin. So so I think the process, you can break it in, into two parts, really. But I think, you know, the, the one process is, is the fundraising and the marketing, etc. And the, the other one is the documentation, you know, the, that Brian referred to that, that, that the advisors get, get stuck into. But I suppose, I suppose just kind of stepping back, the thing is, when you list, and, and Brian talked about access to capital, that first step or that process to list it is a big process, if you like. But once you're listed, it's easy to raise subsequent uh, rounds of funding, and Brian might talk about that. So I suppose people kind of get caught up on that initial process. Yeah. But if you look over your life, that's one big process, but then you've access to this big club, if you like, once you're on it. So so really the way it works now is that the first part of the process, I'd say, go get yourself a good broker with some good advisors. But the first part of the process, which is very important, is getting your kind of equity story or your pitch right and Brian talked about particular Draper Esprit and it's something something new and, and kind of testing it with investors to say look is this something that you're interested in is it something that there's a market for and then if those initial meetings go well well that's when you kind of really step on to the process so there's that side then first of all the investor side you're getting the pitch ready your road shows etc and then behind that the second layer is the, is, is the tough layer where the advisors come in and getting that kind of document ready your prospectus your admission document and really what that does is contains all the information that's relevant to your company and the reason why that is there is because you will be attracting investors from all over the world you may or may not ever meet and we need as well as an exchange to make sure that all the information is out there that needs to be there so that that investor can make an informed decision. So it's that document, I suppose, that's the big workflow that the lawyers and the accountants and everybody get excited uh, about. But I suppose it's important to understand that that's an important document really to protect the company as well and and the directors to make sure that all that information that should be out there is out there. So what what kind of things are we talking about? I mean, you mentioned that the equity story will be in there uh, I know companies have to kind of disclose what are the potential uh, risks to their yeah. business. What what other things do they need to put so in? So it's, it's all about, so it's, it's absolutely, so the offer structure, the kind of the shares, the rights attaching to those shares, then it's all about the company itself, the business, the opportunity, the risk factors, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then all the financial information is where the accountants come in. And then at the back end of the document is kind of, uh, I suppose, important legal information in relation to the company, um, who, the, who the directors are, the governance, uh, key material contracts, etc. So all that kind of information in the one place. Yeah. Now, just on the financial side, uh, obviously you have to decide what percentage of the company am I going to list on the exchange and how much money 
uh, do yeah. I want to raise? So, Brian, how did you guys uh, decide uh, on those? Well, I, I suppose for us it was it was quite simple in many respects. Uh, we we were, if you like, selling a portfolio of existing assets uh, into the IBO, and those existing assets kind of had a, a, a set value to them. And beyond that, we wanted to raise enough additional capital to give us enough capital for about a, a year of uh, ongoing investments. So that was kind of the way we thought about it. You know, how much capital are we going to invest in new early stage tech companies over the next year or so? And, and why did you decide a year rather than two years or five years? I, I suppose that came from the process that Orla just described. Um, you know, we'd kind of tested the market appetite and I think what we'd seen was that because we were doing something new and unusual, there were some investors who were quite excited about that. And there were other investors uh, who, who, you know, simply weren't prepared to take a, a risk on something that was that was kind of as, as different and as new as it was at the time. So you're kind of trying to set the size of the IPO obviously very much driven by the needs of the company, um, but also based on what the yeah. market appetite you, you might, is. You might want to raise 500 million, but investors might want to give it to you. So yeah, you, you, need exactly. to, you, need, you need to tailor it according yeah. to that. Uh, the, the but, but sorry, just one thing. I think one thing that you've done really well in Draper, so, so there's that idea and you, and you raised the 100, but then you've gone back to the market several yeah. times. And it's that yeah. idea that I think, you know, if you if you go onto the market at a reasonable amount, and obviously the share price went up, so it made sense actually not to do it all that point in time when you raise the next 100 at a at a, at a higher price. Um, but I think that that's it. If you if you kind of you meet the investors, and, and I think with the markets, if you do what you say you're going to do, the markets are really supportive. And then you can go back and raise that additional money very quickly um, and, and go to those those guys who saw you on the first round and have been watching you and saying that those guys have done a good job. I'll, I'll, I'll put my money yeah. in now. So it looks like Ireland is getting more sophisticated when it comes to how its businesses handle IPOs. After this, Brian will be telling me how he got on with all the paperwork. Is it as bad as many companies fear? <laughs> Now, Orla, uh, you guys uh, in Euronext are running a programme called IPO Ready. Can you just tell us uh, a bit about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, and it goes on to another one of Brian's hat in terms of, you know, encouraging Irish companies to scale. And, and like, we need Irish companies scaling. We need, Ireland Inc. needs this in order to just create the next generation of, of world-class companies sure. to pass on entrepreneur skills, leadership skills, etc. But what, I, what, what we found is that companies are not using the capital markets enough and also not scaling enough. There's this idea that success is defined as selling out and I suppose we need to kind of redefine that um, and encourage companies to scale and to support them so we developed this programme to help companies understand I suppose the main things are to understand the different sources of finance available to you because finance is that fuel for scale um, and to help companies understand the different types of finance which is the one most suited to them actually so we look at all sources of finance and also obviously with a particular um, emphasis on, on the capital markets and then how to get ready for finance because you know um, windows open and close and the more um, organised you are the quicker process you can do the less you'll pay on the advisor fees so there's some really good lessons in there that actually that every company should follow in terms of how you get your company ready the governance and um, your legal structures your tax your financials etc 
And then it, it, I suppose it just opens people up to this whole new world that's going on. Um, and then at the end of the programme, they'll have a good, they'll understand the different types of finances. They'll have a good network of advisors and investors. So in our programme, we'll have like over about 120 speakers over the course of that programme. So massive exposure um, for, for companies to understand yeah. and to scale. You raise an interesting point there, which is this view that selling out is success. Why is that view out there, do you think? Um I, I don't know really. I suppose I think I think when you when when you sell out, I think if you're to compare your your valuation at a point of sale and a point of IPO, it's always going to be higher on point of sale because you're but you're giving away all the upside. And I think what the capital markets does is allow people to stay in control, to stay running their business. It helps with succession planning and it gives you that participation in the upside. So I think what we need to and there's also the uh, you need to see it to be it if you like. And Irish because our companies haven't been great at using the capital markets we don't have you know that kind of subset of people who've done very well until you go back if you look at the likes of Kingspan small family company Kerry Group listing at 12 million market cap 19 billion today so there are huge success stories out there we need to be better Absolutely. at promoting them and Brian what's your your take on this obviously you're dealing with a lot of early stage companies um this issue that that selling out is success what you know i often wonder is it a sort of a bull mccabe type thing that it's my my, it's my equity in my company. I don't want to sell it. Uh, is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's an element of it that's that's perhaps cultural. You know, that Irish people, um, in many cases, don't always have a kind of a conquer the world type of mentality. That 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 maybe we sort of say, okay, yeah, that's enough. That that's fine. But I I think um, Orla made a very important point. I mean, I think one of the huge advantages of an IPO and going to the public markets is that it does allow the management team to effectively to retain control of yeah. the direction of the company and provided you're continuing to deliver in in terms of if you like what you've promised to the markets then you'll absolutely be able to retain that control continue to develop and and, and grow the business you know um i mean there are some businesses that that's not a good fit for you know but there are absolutely lots of great businesses where that would have been an alternative that was maybe never even considered, you know. And that's definitely a pity because typically when you do sell a business lock, stock and barrel, you're more than likely selling to a US acquirer or, you know, perhaps a German acquirer, but US predominantly. And what that means is the locus of control shifts to the US and that's where the really big decisions get ma- get made and and that's often not necessarily that healthy for the business and and definitely not healthy from an Irish perspective you know one of the great examples though Orla was uh, VR education um kind of a, an early stage family business that made the decision uh, to, to list on the exchange a, a couple of years ago you know to me it's one one of the, the best business stories in Ireland over the last decade um are you guys trying to encourage companies to to go on the exchange at an earlier point in their lives yeah well i suppose it's been a great success story and i don't know if, if you heard they won the european uh, um, Rising Solid Star action. Award recently, which which was great for for all the for all the IPOs in that particular year. Um, so I think when you look at listing, uh, you know, 
it's got to be right for the company. So it's not it's not really dependent on kind of what size you are. It's it's all about do you have the right kind of you know Brian alluded to like selling out is all it can be yeah. the right thing. So but so so who's it right for and who's it not right so, for? So so it's right for companies who are scaling quickly, who have some good kind of recurring revenue that they have good visibility for, or or they're a, a med tech or, or a kind of a, a renew like green coat renewables another great example where you've got a kind of a, a kind of a, a capital intensive type business where you need access to lots of cash so if you have the right kind of business that is scaling good good recurring revenue good management team good view on where you can go and you need that money to get there quickly to do it well then it's right for you and it, it's more right for a company of that uh, you know of that kind of I suppose those kind of characteristics and then a larger company who's, who's who's not really growing and not really creating anything that's not a good place for that market so so it's a, it's a so I think look it is a big process it is an undertaking to be a listed company so it's got to be for the right reasons and they are that you need capital and you need capital regularly uh, you need liquidity for your founders you want to support your employees um old branding and profile etc cetera, etc cetera. so it can be a really good way to accelerate growth in a business if you look at the, the venture capital environment, uh, Brian, we've also seen it, kind of a number of these private equity funds uh, springing up here over the last few years. You know, you'd, you'd hope that this would lead to, to, you know, more companies going onto the exchange. But then I wonder if you're wearing your venture capital hat, maybe you prefer to sell the whole thing in one go because then you're getting all your money back at one time. Whereas if you're IP on it and you're holding on to some shares, the shares might go up or down. Is that an, is that an issue? Uh, is it an issue? Um, yes, I suppose it is, especially for more conventional venture capital firms. I mean, one of the reasons, one of, one of the other reasons that we IPO'd um, was we were finding that a lot of the companies that we invested in take longer to scale to their potential than people think. You know, we we, we kind of joke about the 13-year-old overnight success story, <laughs> you know. And uh, conventional venture capital firms are, you know, they're operating a 10-year fund. There is a fair bit of pressure to, uh, to exit from businesses within that kind of 10-year time frame. One of the advantages for us of the public market structure is that we no, no longer have that restriction and, and can back businesses for longer. Um, I think the, you know, the private equity companies are, from, from, from an IPO perspective, are, are kind of a mixed blessing. I think one of the reasons that not so many companies have gone public is that there's been a lot of private equity capital available and people have chosen okay. the private equity capital instead of an IPO, perhaps not realising that that brings with it inevitably a, a pressure to exit and, and probably to exit lock, stock and barrel. I I do think we're getting a bit more sophisticated in those terms now and both VC firms and private equity firms are realising that kind of going to the public markets, taking a little bit of capital off the table now and then more in the future as the business continues to scale can actually be a very, very attractive exit option. You're listening to the Grow Your Business podcast. I'm Gavin McLaughlin. I'm here with Orla O'Gorman, Head of Equity Listing for Ireland at Euronext and Brian Caulfield, who is a venture partner at Draper Esprit. And we're talking about how to do an IPO. Now, uh, Brian, once you've 
done it and you've gone public, uh, we've alluded to earlier, there, there's a lot of rules you have to abide by. Sometimes people talk about what they call the treadmill, that you get into this cycle where you have to put out regular earnings updates, all that kind of thing. How did you guys uh, find out at Draper Esprit? Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that on the, the Euronext market that we're listed on, um, you report twice a year, not quarterly. I have to say, I think that's a huge benefit. It's much less of of a treadmill than, than perhaps the Nasdaq market in the US, where, where it is quarterly reporting. I think, again, it's about having the right team internally. Um, we actually hired a new CFO, and the CFO actually largely managed Manages the vast majority of that process, so you you, you do you do need the right uh, the right team to support that process, but you know it's not um, enormously onerous, and there's a lot of clarity to the rules. You know, as a um, as a member of the management team, there will be certain times when you're not allowed to sell shares. Uh, it's completely understandable why that's the case. Yeah. Um, and y- you just kind of learn yeah. to live with and it. I mean, we, sh- we should say explicitly the reason for all these rules, of course, is to protect the ordinary punters who are investing uh, their money in these companies. Um, but I think, I mean, it, it's, it, the point you make is very interesting because I have heard people say before that they were wary, Orla, of... Uh, you know some of the the rules they'd have to go along with, and then actually once they looked at it, it wasn't maybe as bad as they thought it might be. Yeah, no, it's all about getting that pro- that process in place actually. And as Brian says, it is twice a year. And I think you know you know it's interesting. I think with kind of people webcasting and all these kind of things, the results these days. So that kind of result gets done at that time and it broadcasts and there's all those questions around that and then typically what companies would do is they go meet their investors then twice a year and say and, and those they people say that those, they find those meetings actually quite constructive because actually all that kind of financial stuff is out of the way and you know you're meeting really smart people actually who are experts in your sector and, and they're you're talking about your strategy and where you might go and they're giving you tips and they're talking about your peers and what they're doing. So actually, a lot of uh, the senior management teams in these P- in the PLC say they actually love those two weeks of the year. It's a really important uh, part of the year for them. They learn lots uh, from the investors. They come back. It helps them refine their own strategy and they find it a very a positive process, actually. Do you see any changes uh, going forward in terms of maybe the requirements that are there for bigger companies versus smaller companies? What's your thinking on all that. Yeah, so there has been some changes this year. So we operate two markets, the regulated markets for, for larger companies with, with kind of more stringent um, requirements for both listing in the first place and for being listed on those markets. That's where like the CRHs and Ryanairs and Kerrys would be listed. And then we have what we call a growth market, which is a market that's suited to kind of higher growth companies and it's got a lighter um, regime. And that's 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 kind of getting lighter all the time and, the, yeah. and this is what we're looking for. So it's, it's all about getting this balance as you're talking about protecting the investor and, and then making it the markets work for, for the for for the companies and one of the big changes that happened in the last year was that now you can raise up to 20% of your market cap so 20% is the market cap is the the value of your company so say you've got 100 million market cap you can raise 20 million in any 20 in any 12 month period without producing a new document etc so you can raise those funds really really quickly and that's quite an that's an impactful change that's happened recently what uh, sectors uh, excite you guys at the moment in terms of future IPO candidates? Or, uh, Orla, I'll start with you. 
Uh, so, so we've had a huge amount of clean tech actually is, you know. Kind clean of, tech, yeah. what's that? So it's basically kind of, I suppose, eco-friendly or sustainable, you know, green coat would fall into that. Uh, we've, we've had a number of IPOs actually in, the, in that area in your next this year. So I think, look, I think there's particular sectors that are always capital hungry. So it's kind of property, uh, technologies is a big sector across your next. I mean, we've over 400 technology companies listed. But again, it, look, it, it's any company that, you know, Unifar listed this year um, and, and that there was great demand for that actually in, in Europe and, and in the US. So I think the market always loves a new a new company, a new exciting story um, and, and something a bit different that they can invest in. So it's all about getting the right business, uh, you know, as, of, as more than just the sector, I suppose. Sure. Uh, Brian, uh, what's exciting you out there? Um, I, I definitely agree on clean tech and um, I think we're seeing some really, bu- really interesting businesses uh, emerging in that sector. Um, I would also be very hot on ag tech, I think. Uh, things like vertical farming are going to emerge quite quickly and some of those businesses will absolutely be, be suitable for the public uh, public markets. I think generally there's huge appetite in the public markets for technology businesses because people, if if you like, have been... Uh, you know they've had their their noses pressed to the shop window, and they're kind of seeing these tech businesses grow very, very quickly indeed. And people generally haven't had access to that growth yeah. and haven't had access to that opportunity. So I think there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of appetite in the markets for 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 you know, access to publicly quoted tech companies. Yes. Yeah. Now let's just d- dig into that for a minute. You say appetite in the markets, and you know, I suppose. The most visible uh, for for us as business journalists is when you go to the AGM, you see who the shareholders are, and you know it's uh, tends to be a, an older age profile a lot of the time. Maybe it's people who have pensions invested uh, or whatever. But actually, most of the money you're going to raise comes from big institutional investors, uh, hedge funds, uh, etc. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Orla mentioned earlier you mightn't meet uh, these people ever. Um, so how how do how do you end up having a particular person uh, in your company? And when you're doing your roadshow, how do you know who am I going to go and talk to? Well, uh, f- firstly, the large institutional investors always, um, you know, they they'll have a reasonably well defined set of criteria in terms of what they like to invest in, and you know, a big part of the role of your advisors will be to assist you to identify the right institutions to go and talk to. So, you know, in 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 our case, the main advisor on the listing here was was Good Body, and you know, their job is to know the institutional investors well. And to be able to say to you, okay, those guys won't invest in tech or those guys will only invest in companies with a market cap above 500 million or whatever. Yeah. So you kind of narrow you narrow the, 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 the field down in that way. Um, and then you, you kind of, you, you do kiss a lot of frogs, you know, you do uh, meetings with potential investors where um, you have the meeting and it becomes clear that for one reason or another, you're you're not a fit for right. their well, investment let, Let's talk about that. I mean, you, you go in the door, uh, what happens? What's kind of in your head? You have your pitch, I suppose. Uh, I mean, what were you guys saying to, to these investors? So you ha- you have your pitch and I mean our our pitch was very much around 
firstly, giving them access to these very, very high-growth, early-stage tech companies that they would not otherwise be able to get access to. Uh, we were also very much selling our track, rec- track record over previous years of consistently delivering kind of 20% growth in the value of the portfolio. And in the public markets, that kind of consistent growth is is, is, is very, very attractive, as, as, uh, as Orla mentioned. Um, and the other thing that we'd have been sort of saying is is articulating, if you like, the reasons why, if you're going to invest in the tech sector, you need a highly competent management team that really understands tech. And guess what? Here we are. And here yeah. we are. Yeah. You know, so so that was that was kind of the pitch. I would say when we got no's from investors, it was either because we didn't meet the criteria in terms of scale, um, or it was because there weren't a lot of similar businesses out there already that they could look at and say, okay, they're going to perform sort of the same as X. There wasn't an X out there for us to compare with. And to go back to Orla's earlier point, it was really, really interesting for us. The, The IPO was hard. We've subsequently gone back to the market three times on each occasion raising over 100 million. And it's been a process of typically six to eight weeks to get that done. And, and what, what does that involve? So it's a, it's a actually a kind of a reasonably similar process to the IPO itself, but much, much more lightweight. You know, again, you're, you're doing a roadshow, uh, you're, you're going out meeting investors um, and kind of, if you like, lining up those, those investors to participate in the, uh, in, in the funding when you formally announce it. And, and obviously anyone can then potentially participate in it. Yeah, and obviously you have kind of the, the, the regular updates uh, uh, that we were talking about earlier where you're talking to these investors. But aside from that, I mean, are they fairly hands-on or hands-off? Uh, in general, would you say? Uh, public market investors are very hands-off. You know, um, pro- they, they they don't generally sit on your boards. You'll, you'll have a board that's made up primarily of independent non-executive directors who obviously, if you like, represent the shareholders in a broad sense. Um, but the individual investors don't tend to get directly involved in the business. I think if you're failing to perform, then shareholders will start to uh, kind of scrutinize a little bit more and and maybe become more more activist, uh, as they say. But, you know, in in terms of day-to-day management of of the business, that's down to the management team to get on with that. And as long as you're delivering, you'll yeah. absolutely. And I, I suppose the, the the key the key thing they're looking at is the share price. So do you like? Would you be spending much time watching the share price? Oh, it was down today. It was up today. Is it a big part of your thinking? Not really. Um, you know, of of course, like I I certainly would not look at the share price on even a daily basis. You know, um, we're 
we're a long-term proposition. We're very, very focused on whether our portfolio companies are going in the right direction and do we believe that they're going to create value in, in the longer term. Um, your share price can fluctuate on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, based on Boris Johnson getting elected or based on sterling rising yeah. or falling, you know, and you'd be very, very foolish to get too focused on the, the kind of, if you like, a really narrow focus on what's my share price today. You know, you need to think about what's the right thing to, to, to grow the business in the longer, the longer term and what's going to create value for shareholders in the longer term. And in just a minute, Orla will tell me how Euronext's purchase of the Irish Stock Exchange has made an impact on how business is being done. You're listening to the Grow Your Business podcast. I'm Gavin McLaughlin and I'm here with Orla O'Gorman, Head of Equity Listing for Ireland at Euronext and Brian Caulfield, Venture Partner at Draper Esprit. And we're talking about how to do an IPO. Now, Orla, uh, Euronext obviously has come in. Uh, they bought the Irish Stock Exchange, uh, is it about two years ago now? Yeah, um, So what uh, has been the big change uh, for you guys since they came on board? Yeah, so uh, yeah, everything's changed. <laughs> um, a lot of flights to Paris. But actually, so so the way your next operate, your next um is a pan-European market operate. We operate the markets in, in Paris and Brussels and Amsterdam and Lisbon and most recently Oslo. Um, and so what we did earlier this year, what we did is we migrated all our Irish securities onto the Euronext uh, pan-European trading platforms. That's one platform that goes across all markets. And that's been really impactful. It's actually interesting because we're going out and meeting some of our listed companies now and we're able to show them, well, look, X percent of your shares are now being traded by people who are net, weren't even connected yeah. to our market last year. Um, and so we see a lot more... A lot more trading members connected to our Irish securities. We've seen an increase in volume on our own market as a result of that. So it's been really impactful. Uh, we also have a lot of extra corporate services that we can offer to our Irish companies. And, you know, one of those things that the Brian was talking about, like that selecting that investor, the right investor is critical. Yeah. You so there's a broader potential pool yeah. now. Is that, is that fair to say? There's a broader pool. And then we also have tools to help companies identify, well, look, who 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 isn't holding my uh, stock that should be, etc. And things like that. So to help, I suppose it's really about helping people to maximise uh, their listing um, and then obviously we've, we've an advocacy team in Brussels so we've a much bigger voice actually at the European table for lobbying and advocacy and some of those things we talked about but in terms of trying to influence where the rules are going um, for listed companies so so yeah it's, it's been really it's been really impactful and it's made a massive difference and we do. What, what kind of sentiment is there out there towards um Irish companies and, and being invested in Ireland uh, at the moment. Yeah, so so Irish companies have a, have a really good reputation because they've performed really well. Um, and I think you know this is something that you know that, that that other companies should be should be you know I suppose leveraging if you like because if you look at some of the kind of the CRHs, the Kerrys, the Kingspan, they've all done really well. And newer companies have come on board have said that actually that that has been really helpful for them because you go to investors who have a positive uh, disposition towards towards Ireland. And actually the AIB IPO, I know that the, the, the share price hasn't kind kind of match up but at that time there was a really good job on selling Ireland Inc so so Irish uh, companies have a really good um, reputation worldwide How important is the macro picture when it comes to doing an IPO because you, you know if you're trying to attract these institutional investors they might be a bit more cautious uh, you know if, if they feel oh the trade uh, picture isn't so good or we're worried about Brexit etc um, 
so what, how significant uh, does that prove to be? It's a huge factor. You know, and I think, you know, Brexit and uncertainty and the markets don't like uncertainty, uh, you know, and I think we see a pipe building up now when there is some certainty over Brexit one way or another, then the markets will will, will invest more. I mean, equity markets have done well this year insofar as that they've gone up. Um, and even in terms of in our own markets, from your next perspective, uh, we, we, you know, we've, we've had uh, 43 IPOs raising nearly 5 billion euros. So there has been some activity, but not as much as, as there could have been or should have been. And I know, for example, I'm talking to, you know, to two companies at the moment who, who, who are just on ice. They're waiting for this uncertainty to clear and then they'll move off. So it's hugely impactful. And as Brian said that, you know, like your share price can be distracting. And actually, most companies don't really look at it from a day to day perspective. Obviously, you're very focused on it around results and roadshow time because you're going to be sitting across the table from somebody who's, who's highly interested in your share price but but it's impacted by lots of different external factors and, and all you can really focus is on you delivering your own sure. uh, story and yeah and, and and Brian at the time you guys uh, were doing your IPO what was the macro picture like and how did it, <laughs> how did it factor into your thinking so <laughs> so uh, e- even way way back in 2016 um uh, Brexit was probably the big factor. Um, our, had, had the referendum happened when you guys? It, it took place eight days after we IPO, <laughs> and um, it's, you can call the timing. Yeah, just uh, in time. Uh, absolutely, just in time. I mean, we 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 had had we had actually delayed the IPO by a number of months just just because of circumstances actually on the with the chinese market at the beginning of that year there'd been a very sudden very large fall in the chinese market and that had led to a decision to kind of push the ipo out uh, out for a few months and we we certainly were counting our lucky stars that we hadn't been delayed by another week because you know, if if you had been scheduled to IPO shortly after the Brexit vote, you know, I think you'd probably have been pulling the IPO and 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 delaying potentially for for quite a while. So uh, we we timed it immaculately. You know. Yeah. Well, obviously, it looks like there's a bit more uh, certainty now. Uh, the Tories obviously got a big majority. It, Things are looking up on the trade front as well. Uh, you know, there's this so-called phase one trade deal. I mean, Orla, are you seeing this an, an improvement uh, kind of flowing through to you in terms of what your pipeline looks like? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a good pipe. And, and, and But the thing is, you know, it's, I suppose if, if if the markets don't work, people would generally be, would be operating two processes at the same time. So they might be kind of have a, have a foot in, in one or two camps. But uh, but certainly there's a good pipe there. We see even some of our companies have gone through IP already looking at capital markets quite seriously. Um, so, so there's a number of things in the pipe. So it's but it's but it's uh, we're all long enough in the game. It's never done till it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about you guys, Brian? I mean, are you, are you looking at going back uh, to, to raise uh, more money anytime soon? So, uh, well, firstly, I wouldn't be able to tell you that even <laughs> if we were. Taking his obligations very seriously. Uh, Thank uh, you, Brian. Absolutely. Um, uh, but I, I think, you know, where the company is at the moment, there's plenty of capital available uh, for our investment needs in, in the short term. So, um, you know, as uh, 
that what will drive us coming back to the market will be a requirement to top up the capital that we have available to invest in new companies. And one of the benefits of our model is that we recycle. When, when we do sell a business, we actually recycle that capital back into new investments. So it can sometimes be, if you, if you like, difficult to predict when we might choose to come back to the markets, you know. Okay, I want to get some tips then uh, from both of you for companies who are looking at going down this road. Uh, Orla, I'll start with you. Give me the do's and don'ts uh, for a business that, that wants to list on Euronext. Yeah, so look, I think I would like strongly say to every kind of CEO, CFO, management team, that if you're looking at raising funding, you know, be very clear what kind of funding you, you need and what you want it for and then pick the right option for you. I mean, it's really important. Lots of people make the wrong decision at that very point in time. And if, if public markets are, are right for you, I think it's really important. And, and, you know, and even if you're looking at this two to three years time, getting your company in order now. Um, and I think, you know, the capital market can be a really exciting place to be if you are the right business. I would certainly encourage everybody to look at it to see if it is for them. If But if you have a good company with a good investment story and get that investment story right, you know, and, and Brian and Draper Spree would have to have put a lot of work into that and, you know, test the market, get that story right. Your story for an investor is a different story to the story for a customer. And, and we would do a lot of work on this in IPO Ready and getting that right. Get a good management team in place, get your good uh, governance in place, um, uh, yeah, and go is, for it. Is, is, is it a good idea, do you think, to put in place the kind of uh, PLC type structure early? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, w- one of our, our previous guests said, you, if you put this in, you can kind of grow into it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then it means less work when you actually have yeah, to. Yeah, and I, and I think and if, you, if you even look at Unifar, like they were operating like a PLC for a year before they yeah. listed. And it's really important. And I suppose this is, this is what IPO Ready is all about. And also you talked about those macro factors. I mean, the markets do open and close, but if you're ready and you're in good order, you can go quickly yeah. and you can uh, you can use that window. And so I would encourage people. And I also think, you know, looking, acting and feeling like a PLC uh, is good for business even if you never list. So so I think there's some really important lessons there for, for people. So I would I would encourage Irish people to uh, Irish companies to be ambitious, to go for it uh, and, and to raise their money and scale. There's massive opportunities out there and there are so many fantastic Irish companies that are just well below the radar here um, and that could, could do Absolutely. really well. Absolutely. And then if there was a, a don't uh, tip you'd have for people, what would it be? Yeah, I don't list for the wrong reason. You know, it's not, it's not a, a, an ego thing. It's not something that you just do to take it's got to be right for you it's got to be right for your business I mean if if, if you need uh, capital if you want liquidity if you want to grow and you want to uh, use your you know your shares to buy other companies well then it's right for you but but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and I would say that about any type of capital understand you know what money you're raising and who you're raising it from and what the expectations you know we talked about you know uh, some of the kind of disconnect that can happen between if you have the wrong type of investor on, yeah. on involved and, and, and you as a management team want one thing and they want another because it's a partnership you know listing your being is, is a partnership with the public markets or or whatever type of money if you're if you're raising money it doesn't come for uh, it's not free and and, yeah. and all different types of money of different so so really understand what you're getting yeah into. And I suppose again what shines through is the importance of having a good advisor yeah, uh, co- coming with you through this process Brian uh, your do's and don'ts then uh, for a company that wants to go public well you've you, you've you've robbed one already which is the good advisors and I'd be really really focused on you know making sure that you know you, you've got uh, uh, and, and, and just to just to pick you up on that 
what 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 uh, how do you decide who's the right advisor for you? I mean, I suppose they almost have to do a, a pitch to you to get you to take them on board. So what what are the things you need to be looking for? They 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 absolutely do and I mean, I think the the kind of things that you're looking for are firstly if you like distribution, so you want to know that they have relationships with the right set of investors, the right set of institutional investors that uh, that, that you're targeting. Uh, you want to know uh, that ideally they've got a consistent track record of you know of of bringing companies to the market you know and and that tends to mean that there are a relatively small number of advisors you know that have a lot of track record behind them um and you're also looking for um you know the working relationship if you like it's it's uh, you, you know you want a team that you you feel are committed to the process and are going to work with you and and work as hard as you are to kind of to 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 kind of get the deal across the line um the other kind of big do i think goes back to some extent to to Orla's point i mean i would start your planning early uh, look at the business itself, um, both in terms of what you need for the business, but also in terms of how does the business look to somebody externally. And that might mean, for example, that you say, you know what, we're going to need to beef up the finance function in the business. Um, we need to perhaps recruit a new CFO before we go public, you know, and, and you need to be reasonably disciplined about that and, and, and think that through uh, pretty carefully. Um, and I totally agree, like, you know, don't do it for ego. Don't do it if you don't have, if you like, control of your own business. You know, I think where companies get into trouble is where perhaps they've got very, very poor predictability in the business. It's incredibly lumpy uh, from a revenue perspective and the markets are not going to like that, you know. Um, so, you, you know, just just really think through whether it's the, the right fit for you. Okay, we'll leave it there, guys. Thanks very much for those brilliant tips. That's Orla O'Gorman, Head of Equity Listing for Ireland at Euronext and Brian Caulfield, Venture Partner at Draper Esprit. That's it for this episode and indeed for this series of the Grow Your Business podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. And I hope, Orla, that a few of our listeners end up giving you a call to list on Euronext someday. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you anon. Grow Your Business from News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Supporting business for over 200 years.